0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 34 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Apple, and with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! Hey, hey, hey! What's up, Chris? Not much,
1: how are you today? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, we had, uh, we've had we got some, some interesting stuff coming up in terms of uh, rules changes and some some spicy spoilers this previous week so definitely a lot to talk about
0: yeah yeah we got kind of a a news oriented episode today though we'll certainly talk about you know modern format and and spoilers and stuff we'll leave the dominaria spoilers to the end of the show so i guess so you know so anybody who is trying to keep their eyes off of those until like official spoiler season starts oh sure sure but i think we'll just give you a loud warning and and so you can listen to the rest of the episode and then just tune out once those start if you if you're not interested in those but first things first uh this is our first episode after launching our uh patreon and website so it's going pretty well the the website hasn't crashed yet we got a a few patrons (laughs) which is super super exciting uh so i just want to want to take a quick Second, to thank our new patrons, Alex Riley, Eric Beam, Lee McLeod, Sean Illinich, Dylan Dubick, and uh, one contributor who wanted to remain anonymous, so had me thank her dog, Iggy. So thank you so much to all of those people who have contributed to the podcast. It's just you know super cool that you guys are listening and supporting us like this. Anybody who wants to become a contributor, Go ahead and go to patreoncom slash Um You can find it there, or just go to the website mtggrindcast.com. But as always, you know, podcast is totally free, and just the fact that you're you're listening and or sharing with with your friends and stuff is wonderful as well. But you know, definitely, Absolutely. definitely thanks to everybody.
1: Yeah, but I'm you know I'm super excited, and it's really awesome to see people come out and show some support. I think that you know it kind of like gives gives us a little more meaning, you know, to to what we're doing here. And you know, we're we're, we're we love doing this anyways, and we uh, we're going to be doing it for a while, I'm sure, <laughs> no matter what. But you know, just the fact that people are willing to give us support, it it means a lot. So
0: yeah, so. and even with just a few people in there, like we're starting to get some discussions going in the Discord, which is really like a tangible sort of thing that that like exists now, and I I like that a lot. Right. it's been pretty fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, being able to answer like a few questions has been fun on the Discord. Um, so, pretty cool. Pretty yeah. Cool. Um, and then yeah, the uh, the website is the other thing that you should check out. Like easier access to the episodes and everything. You can also see got a page for coaching. I'm doing coaching, so if you
0: don't know about that yet, you should check it out. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's going well. Um, you had a pretty good weekend. So I saw that you top in <laughs> IQ running it back with humans. Yeah. Uh, As is tradition at this point?
1: I didn't go to, like, any big events, but I did go to kind of, like, a local IQ, which ended up having a pretty good turnout. We had 82 people, I think. Oh, wow. Um,
0: That's, like, twice as big as, as almost any IQ that I've played in. Yeah,
1: so the IQs at East Coast Games in Cary, North Carolina, they tend to have a pretty good showing. There's, like, a pretty good modern crowd that's around the area, and some people try to, like, I think some, like, Roanoke folks come down for those, and...
0: So it's, it's, you know, it's pretty solid, uh, solid field. I mean, that was a top, strong, strong top eight. Like a lot of good local players. Uh, it's all, <laughs> yeah. I saw Ryland was I in think, there too, so.
1: I think for the past two IQs that I've played in, I've played against Ryland in the quarterfinals. <laughs> so that's been fun. He's uh, he's definitely one of the best players there for sure. I was able to get him this time, so I made it into the semifinals, but lost there. I played humans. I played Zans 75 My teammate Zansayed. Uh, has been tinkering around with P and Kirin. So we decided to run two P and Kirins in the main. Hmm. Uh, just kind of like as an adaptation to the kind of the more grindy metagame of like a bunch of Jund and uh, Mardu Pyromancer and stuff like that. Sure. Rossum, Jonathan Rossum actually played the same 75 to a top eight finish of the modern classic the previous weekend in, or the, the same weekend I guess, in, in Dallas. And so that was kind of fun, we, we, we were both able to post top 8s with San 75, so it's, it's pretty solid. And essentially it's just, you know, good old humans, Aether vials. but instead of Kessick Malcontents, we're opting for the P and Kirin
0: LRs. Gotcha, going a little bit bigger. Cool, that makes right. sense. Yeah, I mean, Fatal Push definitely not quite the solution to P and Kirin LR, so that's a nice additional angle of attack. Right. Yeah, and just, like, the extra flying bodies are, you know...
1: There there have been some times where, like, I'm playing, it's, like, a Jund opponent or something. I land one of those, and they can, like, kill the P and, and Kirin, but the, the you know, we're, like, trading resources on the ground and everything, or we're board-stalled or whatever, but those two thopters just get in damage, and it's, it's pretty relevant a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Moving forward, Zan has continued to go off the deep end with testing <laughs> the humans' deck. And I think that he's playing some Yisan right is now. This, is
0: this the wandering uh,
1: bard? Yeah. So there's some there's some spice, but we'll yeah, see. Is, we'll see if that ends up being that is pretty uh, deep. Actually, good. <laughs> it's it's very deep. Traditionally, in my experience, Zan like you know tinkers with a deck, makes it really really good, and then gets really really excited, and then goes way off the deep end and puts Yi-san, <laughs> the wandering bard in his deck. Yeah, I think the list that I played last weekend was really really good. I played an Ariok champion, mm-hmm. which I really don't like, but it was in his list, so I was like, all right, I'm you know I haven't tested this as much as him in since the unbanning, so I'm just gonna trust him. Yeah, but the Ariok champion was just not good. <laughs> um, I think that we ended up cutting that and one of the Zath- Zathar necromancers for two selfless spirits, which has been very very good. Okay, so. sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the Oriac Champion is, I mean, obviously fine against Burn and stuff, but really there because it overlaps with Jund, but then sometimes they just, like, have a Scavenging Ooze or a Tarmogoyf, and it's just not a card when they're killing you with that.
1: Right, right, yeah. Like, the matchups you want in, I guess, are, like, Mardu Pyromancer, Jund, Burn, but it doesn't do enough against Mardu Pyromancer, and I think that you just have a good matchup against Jund and Burn, so... Wow, definitely gets burned, but I, you know, I think that your matchup against Jund is is favored, which yeah. is pretty cool spot to be in.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bloodbraid Elf is very good, but that three two body is less relevant in the board states that that matchup tends to create, so I I can see that. And yeah, I think it's just good matchup
1: for this kind of similar reasons that you've got a good matchup against like Death Shadow, where you just like put a bunch of dudes on the ground like some of your draws are more explosive and with an aether vial you can just like dump more efficiently on the on the ground and you can just run over your opponent in some draws um where they like don't have enough time to deploy all of their one and two mana removal spells or like you know just like going super late if you can like reflect or mage their tarmogoyf and like get in a big chunk of damage and have like three or four dudes on the board there's not a lot that they can do about that gotcha but, gotcha
0: yeah that makes sense I mean, you, you usually expect it to be not great against these mid-range grindy, removal-heavy decks, but I, I guess mm-hmm. at the moment, you know, just the way that Jun's stuff lines up is is not quite as powerful as the way Mardu's stuff lines up against humans.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Jun's, I think, just, like, missing a sweeper right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of lists that just don't have any sweepers, so that's that's pretty problematic, problematic for them. Uh, Mardu Pyromancer, though... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> is a r- it, we, you, we have a really rough time against that deck. Yeah, I'm um, not sure that there's any way to really salvage that. I mean, like, we don't have any sin collectors in our 75 right now, which seems like a sin, but, um,. <laughs> I uh, I think that like the is it do a lot in that matchup. Sure, but so if we wanted to like go up on numbers on 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 those cards, I think that it would be a little better. Mm-hmm. But as it stands, um, it's pretty rough right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. So un- unfortunately, my weekend went a little bit rougher. I had a really good time. I I went to GP Madrid. Uh, met up with some friends there and we played in the GP, which was team trios. So that was like
1: multiple formats or? Yes. Yeah. yeah, like
0: Star City style. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So I was playing standard. Um, we had uh, one of my friends on. Uh, Red-green Eldrazi, and then our legacy guy was on this Japanese foil Ant Tendrils deck, which looked amazing, but uh, legacy players are crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sweet. So, it, it, you know, tournament started off pretty well. We started off 4-0, but then yes. we drew a match, which was, like, I can really only blame myself for this one. I think I, I was having a hard time trying to pay some attention to my teammates' game, while also playing this like pretty complicated and technical game, uh, in a bad matchup, I was playing against Drake Haven, and I was running uh, Sultai Constrictor, and I ended up making a couple of not great plays, plays that that turned out to that that didn't work out, and probably were the wrong plays at the time as well. Um, that ended up with me not able to kill my opponent in time on game three, uh, and that was, jeez, the first time that I've drawn a match in. I don't know that I've ever drawn a sanctioned match before, so that was really frustrating to do it in a team event and, and cost my team a win in, in a format where, you know, a, a draw on day one in a GP is exactly the same as a loss, and that's really tough in a team event. So I was pretty frustrated with myself after that, and part of the reason that I, I think that I wasn't playing well is because I hadn't really eaten anything. So we went to the cafeteria, tried to order a hot dog, and by by the time we had gotten out, the round had started, and all three of us had somehow missed it, which uh, was kind of the most brutal thing that has ever happened. I don't understand how all three of us missed it, and you know, like there were people in the cafeteria, and there was no like exodus out of it when the round started, and this round started in a much more timely fashion than the several rounds before it had started so it really right. really caught us off guard. Obviously that round we were playing against Joel Larson and his uh Swedish tr- crew so we just got oh, okay. demolished with three game losses. Right. So you do get three game losses, right? Yep. Every
1: match is going to start with a game loss?
0: Yeah, cuz three people were missing from it. Like if one, I think if one of your team members is missing, like they just get one game loss, but we were we were sure. all missing so we did. We gave him a little bit of Fair a scare, enough. though. We won all three of our game one slash twos, but then we couldn't couldn't pull it off, unfortunately. Oh man!
1: But yeah, so kind of like getting draws in team events is something that happens pretty frequently, like much more frequently than like single uh, regular events, mm-hmm. and that's. It's just kind of like a like if you're not used to that setting of like you know having other matches to that you want to keep an eye on, yeah, as well as keeping track of your own match, that's that's something that i I see pop up pretty frequently of, of like you know th- people just don't quite understand how to balance their time as as easily as they normally do, and that that leads to a lot of draws. so I know that when i'm in, when I'm playing in team events, I, I try to keep an eye out for stuff like that where like. It, You know, if I'm playing a match against my opponent and then he's just like spending too much time not on our match, then I'll tell him about that. And if it continues to be a problem, I'll probably call a judge or something. Just because people, you know, are very frequently uh, just kind of like not used to that setting. I don't think it's anybody's like fault in particular. They just like don't understand that they're wasting too much time by like not spending time on on a particular like on their own match.
0: Right, and I think this one was kind of doubled up a little bit because I was trying to help. Uh, One of my teammates and then, you know, my opponent at different times was also getting called over by his team uh, for advice on stuff. And I think that the combination of those two things just like, you know, sucked 10 minutes away from our match, which makes it, you know, much harder to finish. So still wish that I had paid more attention. And yeah, you're right. Like, I just wasn't used to it and wasn't really looking out for it. Like time, like the clock is often not something that I think about very much during a match because I usually play too quickly and and finish with a lot of time left and it's it's usually not a concern unless my opponent is really being very deliberate so you know I was not thinking about the clock until I looked up and saw that we had about three minutes left and uh
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's uh whoops yep. it's too late now
0: <laughs> yeah not, not much I could do about it there so but yeah, yeah so I mean that was frustrating and definitely a learning experience for sure
1: yeah so I'm assuming those two rounds kind of rallied your team a little bit
0: yeah and then we just weren't really able to put one together after that and uh yeah the, yeah you know just sort of like lost the focus lost the cohesion a little bit like i don't think that like i mean i don't feel like i played like noticeably worse after that but it just felt like a, uh, such an uphill battle from there and we just weren't really able to get it done
1: yeah i mean i i'm a firm believer that you know your mental state has a lot of impact on your decision making skills sure and when when you get thrown off like that, and kind of like in any scenario, then it's definitely going to have a pretty big impact on your results.
0: Yeah. I, I will say I was pretty happy with my list this weekend. Um, I ended up running like three duresses in my main deck over removal spells, and it, you know that seemed to perform. Uh, I built the deck the way that I did because there was so little mono-red on Magic Online. But over the weekend, yeah. uh, day one of the GP and a three-round uh team event that we played on sunday i played against mardu once and mono red or black red four times (laughs) so it was like almost half of my matches was against mono red uh and my (laughs) my main deck was specifically constructed thinking like "Eh, probably not going to play against mono red but i'll just try to win my post board games uh, but I did go sure. I did go for one against Mardu and Mono Red, so it was it was still fine. Had it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that like casting the removal spells is necessarily the best way to fight the mono red decks with a deck like Constrictor. You know, most of my wins come from blocking once or twice and then turning it around really quickly and killing them with a Gear Hulk and a walking ballista or something like that. Um, yeah so as long as you have that plan in mind and are blocking with that end game in mind i had multiple players very surprised that i was able to untap play a spell and deal lethal to them um and so that felt pretty good that you know like i had been planning that like two or three turns in advance and then when it finally came to fruition my opponents just weren't used to what the deck could do but because i had gotten in reps I, i could make that plan so you know, in those matchups, I, I did feel like I played really well, but there were definitely a couple matches where, you know, I just made a couple of bad calls, and so that was a little frustrating. To it, it hurts more when you have a yeah. team that your your loss is three people's loss, and that kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's uh, you got to remember that it's a team event, and it 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 always takes two matches to to lose a, a, a round. Yep. It's never, it's never solely your fault. You right, know? right, right. But yeah, when, when you're the, the, the last one to finish and kind of like you feel like it's the you know, penultimate game or whatever, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, um, it definitely is. Because <laughs> it definitely feels like there's more at stake. But in reality, you know, there was, pl- there was just as much at stake in, in the other, in your teammate that lost their round as well, so...
0: Yeah, and, and at, at the end of the day, like, it's still just a match of magic, and, like, you gotta just learn from your mistakes and try to minimize them as best as you can, and, and move on. Yep, just do what you can to play optimally and try to get that W. Yeah. So I guess, speaking of uh, mistakes and stuff, although this isn't quite the same category... Um, I did want to mention uh, one really cool thing that we saw during the coverage of the Open, which was uh, Jim Davis and Jadine Comperins were playing a win-in-in, and it was kind of a weird situation. I think Jadine was going to have a lethal attack with the scavenging ooze, but then there was some confusion, and somehow the scavenging ooze ended up with one fewer plus one plus one counter than it was supposed to have, so she couldn't it looked like she couldn't deal lethal to Jim, and then he won on the crackback. But then, when they were shuffling up for game two, they realized that actually she did have lethal that turn. And then Jim asked a judge if he could concede that game because she would have won. And the judge said, "Yeah, yeah, you can, you can concede that game." So he conceded game one, which he had absolutely no requirement that he do so. He you, you, had won right, game you don't one. have to do that in that spot, right? And I just, I, I just think that that's a total class act that's that's a a great move by a great player super cool to do that and just a really good reminder that like this is a game we're playing the people you're playing against are human beings uh you know you both make a mistake there and it's just a very respectful thing to do both for your opponent and for the integrity of the game and there's no you know if you're in that exact same spot you don't have to do something like that but to do it shows uh i think a pretty high moral standard and i i want to call that out could be because that's that's very cool to do that
1: yeah i was watching the coverage when that happened and we i think everybody was a little confused because it wasn't like clear that there was supposed to be another counter on it and we were like maybe there's a life total discrepancy mm-hmm. like what's what's the confusion going on here we and one thing that we initially thought was like maybe jadine ate the last creature in the graveyard and that Put the Tarmogoyf to one less power, so it wasn't lethal after all, and she just like missed that interaction or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, you know, when when the announcers told us that Jim had kind of like conceded after the fact, we were all I was like, well, okay, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, that that Jim kind of like made that decision because I'm assuming that he had all the information available to him where like, okay, we missed one of the counters and she gained the life. So it, and it's it's an activated ability. It's not like something that you can miss right right so he decided to concede and and that was pretty impressive so
0: kudos to jim for that yeah and i I mean i'm sure part of it is like especially playing on the scg tour like you see the same people all the time and by being as forthright and and upstanding as you possibly can you know you encourage other people around you to act in that way but i i doubt Mm. that's what was going through his head i think you know he knows Jadeen and she's a friend and he respects her and you know, this was the wrong result for the game. And he thought, well, I guess I have a way to fix this. And that's, I mean, that's just super cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, just kind of like a little anecdote, I guess, from the weekend,
0: but uh, definitely want to give
1: props, where props are due.
0: I mean, we live in this world where like when you're playing a match of magic, it becomes like the most important thing that there could possibly be to win that match of magic. Like everything that you're doing in the moment is to win. And I mean, sometimes it's just not, the most important thing, you know? Yeah, I mean,
1: especially for a player like Jim. Like, Jim is a personality. People know who he is, and and he wants people to, like, you know, respect him as a player and everything. So you kind of, like, have to weigh the equity of, like, what's more important here? Is it more important that I maintain my integrity as a player and make it known that, you know, I have respect for the game? Or is it more important for me to get this win, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. And, I mean, it's an important... Win because that was the win and in for top eight in an open. like that's a a relatively big deal. but right. still, it's just a match of magic,
1: yeah, yeah. and you know, I think that he he definitely made the the long term better equity call of you know, he'd rather just you know demonstrate respect for the game and 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 his opponent.
0: also really good equity in that uh Nicole, his girlfriend tweeted that um she and their son were watching the match, and so he was setting a very good example for his son which is uh, I think oh that's awesome yeah I mean you can't beat that that's great yeah so the last bit of news that we have is that through some Dominaria spoilers and through some like people asking questions on Mark Water's blog it's come out that the planeswalker redirection rule is going to disappear from the game coming with the release of Dominaria which is uh, the fall big set Um, And so it looks like what that means is that a whole bunch of old cards are going to get eroded. So basically direct damage spells like Lightning Bolt, anything that can target a creature or a player, is now going to be eroded to say any target and you can directly target a Planeswalker. And I think a lot of cards like Earthquake-style effects and that sort of thing are going to lose some utility because you can no longer redirect the damage to Planeswalkers.
1: Do you know what exactly happens to, like, Lava Spike, specifically? Are you going to be able to hit Planeswalkers with Lava
0: Spike anymore? I So, it's going to depend on if they errata it. So, if they errata Lava Spike to, say, target player or Planeswalker, and I don't know what their philosophy is going to be there, but, you know, any, any card they print going forward that just says, like, three damage to target player is not going to be able to hit planeswalkers. So it's like a, a card by card basis what they're gonna do with it. Which hopefully there's a very consistent theory that they use for it so that we don't have to like Oracle look up every single red card. Like no card by card in.
1: basis. Yeah. Yeah, like
0: Earthquake, you can't hit planeswalkers, but Lava Spike you can't. Like, yeah, okay, well now I'm confused. <laughs> well and I think that may be the way it is. I think that Earthquake probably can't hit planeswalkers because it doesn't target so you know it's going to deal x damage to each creature and to each player because they would have had to errata it then to say like x damage to each creature and each player and each planeswalker but that changes the functionality of it in a pretty significant way right um or the
1: other solution is like pretty complicated where it's like deals this much damage to each creature and each player or planeswalker if you wish to not deal damage to the like okay now what does this look like and (laughs) and i
0: think building in the redirection rule to all the spells like that is kind of defeating the purpose of getting rid of the redirection rule um right i I, I think where this is going to be most confusing is that you know like say in dominaria they print a card like a, a limited removal spell that's like two and a red deal three damage to target creature or player And you put that side by side with an old printing of Lightning Bolt that says deal three damage to target creature or player. But they are functionally different cards because Lightning Bolt can target Planeswalkers, but the newly printed one cannot. And that is, I I think that's setting up for some very confusing new player situations.
1: Do you you know if they're going to be printing any cards like that? Because I think that is going to be, like, I think if they're printing any cards that... That are doing that kind of effect, they're just gonna they're just gonna template
0: it like how they want lightning bolt to read now, which is any target. Right, but you know who knows? You know they're gonna be making cards for years and years and years, and um, are they gonna make any bird spell that targets a player always be able to target a planeswalker? Maybe I don't really know what the yeah. philosophy is going to be there. I I right. kind of you know too many dominaria spoilers got dumped, uh, so I don't remember <laughs> all of them. I vaguely right, right, right. recall there being a burn spell that only targets creatures and players and not Planeswalkers, um, but I could just be totally wrong on there. Okay, um, so, well that'll yeah. be interesting then, for sure. Um, I, I think ultimately, like, this is going to be a pretty painful transition. You know, like, people are going to be calling judges asking for what the hell Eidolon of the Great Rebel does when <laughs> when your opponent has a Planeswalker to right, play. Right, right. And, and I think it is going to be tough for a while, but I think that like every time I had an opponent at an FNM who was new to the game, and I had to explain the planeswalker redirection rule to them, like I just felt so guilty about what was happening. Um, right. A- and I- yeah, but
1: you know the the kind of the counterpoint I guess to that is that Magic's already just a really complicated game. Yeah. And the, you know the players who are playing it are like kind of signing up for a little bit of that regardless, and I think that. Moving forward, when it comes to new players entering the game, it's going to make more sense with kind of like the new philosophy that they're lining that they're that they're like creating everything with now, right? Because now you're not going to have to explain to that new player the redirection rule you're just going to say yeah you can bolt my planeswalker if you want to yeah yeah so i think that that's like a little simpler moving forward for like the new players getting into the game but for those of us who are like so used to how things work now and know the redirection rule really well and all this other stuff it, it's going to be difficult for those players to kind of like reconfigure their mindsets but i you know then again i think that all of the players who who know the rules really well are have the capability to you know yeah, gra- understand. I mean, we're gonna uh, how things
0: are gonna work. We're gonna read now. release notes and we're gonna read errata and we're gonna be able to adapt. And I, right, I, I do agree yeah. that this is a thing that right. had to be done at some point for clarity in the future of the game. It's just gonna be a, a kind of right. tough transition for now, but yeah, it, it'll be fine. Like, it's not yeah. gonna be that big of a problem,
1: right? I guess my point is like, yeah, we're we're gonna be all right. Yeah. but Um, I think that pro- probably the decision was that. Watson believes that moving forward, this is going to be a, a simpler iteration of the rules. Right. So, And it, it's also
0: to... important for Arena, I think, um, because these interfaces are better if you can just, like, take your lightning bolt and point it at a Planeswalker instead of having to go through, like, multiple boxes of redirection and stuff. Like, the way Arena works oh, right now is you point your burn spell at the Planeswalker, um, and it's just much right, cleaner right. for that sort of thing. And it's much yeah. cleaner for... real life gameplay as well
1: oh man i've been playing a lot of valkit on uh on magic online this past week and whenever my opponent has a planeswalker in play and i'm like throwing like 80 valkit triggers at no 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 every single one asks me if i want to redirect to the planeswalker and i'm like no my opponent's very
0: dead i just want to kill them So, I mean, that's a good transition, though, because uh, one of my questions in the modern section, which is our next topic, is, uh, is it time for Titan Shift again? Is that, is that where we want to be oh, in Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think so. Anecdotally, what I saw this weekend at the GP, um, our modern guy played against blue-white control once and then the entire rest of the tournament was only Greentron or Jund. He literally played against three decks, and the vast majority of that was Greentron and Jund. If I knew I was gonna play against those, I would absolutely sleeve up Valakut. So uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to hear your perspective on this.
1: Grand Prix Phoenix is this weekend, and I will be very, very surprised if we do not have one to two copies of Scapeshift Shift in the top eight. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that it's, you know, I, I've talked about this theory a lot in the past, where modern exists on kind of like this. So modern's very, very diverse. We, like, we know this to be true. Um, but under that diversity, there is kind of like underlying all of that is this kind of like wheel of arc- like macro archetypes that kind of revolves on itself. And like the players on that macro archetypes are like mid range control, aggro combo. You know, like, those are the four. But then in Modern, there's also big mana and graveyard decks, mm-hmm. right? And these all kind of, like, interact with each other in, like, this, like, rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock kind of deal, right? <laughs> right, and I, I firmly believe that there there is often one of those archetypes which is on the top of that wheel in terms of popularity. And I also firmly believe that you should always try to be playing whatever is good against... What's on top of the wheel in terms of popularity? Sure. So what's popular right now, and it might just be because of the unprinting of Jason Mind Sculptor and J- and Bloodbraid Elf. You know, who knows if long term that's like the best thing to be doing in modern. But they're new and shiny, and people want to be playing these cards. So that's going to be on the top of the popularity wheel right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know demonstrably we've seen a lot of those decks ra- around, right? Yeah. So I think that you know the the control decks and the mid range decks that are on top of the wheel right now. Are all pretty soft to big mana, and that's Tron and Scapeshift. So honestly, right now I think that the best thing to be playing is Scapeshift, because Scapeshift beats Tron and it also beats Jund and Blue White Control.
0: Right. And I, um, I haven't seen as much control, really. of people going in that direction. Like I've seen a lot of Tron, but I have not quite seen the like next step, which is, you know, this big mana deck is good against the other big mana decks. So um, Grand P. Phoenix baby, yeah. it's gonna be a thing. I mean yeah. that that cycle theory is is absolutely, you know, like I remember picking up the deck like a week late. And I, I remember, like, borrowing it from you, going to, like, a probably a PPTQ with it or something, something local. And then after two rounds, I just texted you and was like, Collins, this deck has no good matchups, because I just picked it up <laughs> a, a, a week late and wasn't yeah, playing it. Maybe yet.
1: just a week late.
0: Yeah. But if I had been playing it a week before, it would have been totally fine. And I, I, I agree. I think we are going into a weekend where this is the type of strategy that, that can be very successful.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, I think that it's it's gonna be like if you if you really want to be on top, and who knows, like maybe maybe the window's gone, right? Because the really surprising thing that happened in the open last weekend was um, <laughs> there were a bunch of storm decks that did really well. Um, yep. So there are gonna be like factors in all these things that are kind of like going to go against the general trend, and. And I think the one the one big factor that like the the one event that happened that kind of like put a twist on things and and made Storm have a lot of good success is Caleb Scherer and Paul Muller came up with this like pretty updated Storm list and Caleb Scherer has a lot of followers who I think that he like has some sort of like Storm website or something where he like posts his most recent lists <laughs> or whatever. And he worked with Paul Muller on the Storm list that they both had pretty good success with over the weekend. Um, And a lot of people kind of, like, jumped on that. So that kind of, like, like artificially created this surge of the Storm deck, right? So while we didn't expect Storm to be having a good weekend, it ended up having a lot of success because it was, like, there was, like, a, a jump kick in popularity Kind of like for a different reason, kind of like
0: outside of that general cycle that, that we often talk about. Well, and it um, might not be totally outside of that cycle, because while I, I'm not excited to play Storm in a field full of Jund, if I start dodging Jund and mostly hitting the Tron decks that we're trying to prey on Jund, then I'm pretty happy with my choice. Yeah, but
1: level three is kind of never really where you want to be, True. in my
0: opinion, on in
1: modern. You don't really ever, want, like, in my experience, you don't ever really want to be targeting the the next level players, right? Right? Because I've, I've definitely, so there's, there's it, my levels don't have zero, I that might be confusing, but level one is Jund, level two is, like, big mana, and then level three could be, like, all right, let's speed up on these big mana people. Mm-hmm. But I think that, like, you know, a couple of weeks down the line, you definitely want to be on what used to be level 3, but now level 1 is big mana and scapeshift, so yeah. you want to be on level 2. But in my experience, you never really want to be on that third level of, like... Everybody knows that you need to be playing Tron and scapeshift, so we better play Storm. Uh, it just doesn't work out from from my experience, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, it. you know, th- this top 8 was pretty insane, to be fair. Like, it was... Like, Double Storm, Ponza, Infect is not not what we're expecting to see in a top eight at this moment. I right. I mean certainly like weird things happen in a tournament and I think there was a fair amount like that top eight had a fair amount of weird things happen to let let Ponza. Yeah like Infect beat Jund
1: in the quarterfinals, uh, yeah. which is
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: So yeah I mean there there can definitely be upsets and it's definitely never uh, never a sure thing. So but yeah definitely definitely interesting. And Panza took down the tournament, right? <laughs> and so I'm telling everybody to play Scapeshift and Tron, where Ponza just won an event. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little that's a little interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think but... that we're gonna see that big of an uptick in in Ponza. I think Storm mm. is the thing you gotta be scared of, or or at least considering as, as your enemy, right. yeah. uh, you know, that you don't wanna run into if if like is your choice. I think Storm is the one Yeah, that yeah. So about. It, it does
1: feel a little backwards and, and maybe because this top eight event was so strange than you know my my meta call of of because you know both ponza and storm and infect like these are all nightmare matchups for for uh, yeah, tron and they're not good And Scapeshift. shift so you know maybe because of that like whenever something top eights an event the popularity of that deck goes up that's just how it works um so so maybe you know maybe because of these factors then we need to be able to assume that that's just what's going to be popular and and try to meta game against that and play humans but who knows yeah
0: i mean you know. and and you know we were saying already that like humans against jund is fine so maybe that's just a good middle ground to do something that's not too out there not too vulnerable to what the meta could end up looking like i mean i will say that like walking from table to table it was just so much tron and jund and I mean, that's a European team GP, so that's a different sort of thing. But, like, I, I would be looking to take advantage of, of Tron and Jun being, being highly played. And, and I, I would be willing to make a pretty hard call on that and suffer the consequences if it doesn't work out.
1: Yeah. If anybody's trying to play modern and are trying to metagame it, <laughs> I definitely, definitely recommend Scapeshift right now. I've been playing Scapeshift with Bloodbraid Elf, and uh, Bloodbraid seems pretty strong. I just really like having access to another body, just to be able to like buy you time, chump block, maybe trade for a ground dude. So that's been, it's been pretty good for me. It, it might just be correct to ignore Blood raid Elf and just like, you know, play the solid scapeshift list that like we know it can be successful, just because I think that it's going to be well positioned right now. Mm-hmm. But Raid Elf seems pretty strong.
0: I mean, I like the concept of it, certainly. You know, all of your ramp spells get you to 4 mana on turn 3 and uh he just is another ramp spell or she just is another ramp spell and a body on on turn three as long as you cast one before her yeah you know the the sequencing is is very clean
1: i mean it's got a lot of good things going for it in this deck specifically where the four mana slot is something that we've always kind of like wanted to fill out of scapeshift right exactly never really had any good answers for it like Win Volley, Acid Moss, or... Chandra, uh, Oracle or... Oracle of Moldiah, yeah. or, like, kind of, like, all these things that we want to be playing on turn three, because we have four mana on turn three pretty much every time, right? Yeah. Our deck is full of, you know, like, turn one suspended search, or just any of our two mana ramp spells are going to get us there. So, like, we want to have some sort of powerful effect to play on turn three, and I think that Bloodbraid Elf is the first one that's just, you know, pretty solid. Because like Sakura Tribelder is the best ramp spell in the deck because it you know it gives you a body to you know chump block and then sack and do a thing and I think that uh, Bloodred Elf does a similar thing where it gives you a body on the board and most of the time it's going to ramp you and sometimes it bolts your opponent which is kind of annoying or sometimes it hits a, a sweeper that is kind of annoying but people, a majority of people who are running Bloodred Elf right now are actually running Slagstorm as their sweeper. So you have the option to just like dome the players. That's clever. Which can be pretty relevant. Like the first the first couple of matches I played with Bloodbraid Elf, uh, there there were a couple times where I just like drew two Bloodbraid Elfs and like the first one hit a bolt and I just bolted my opponent and got in for six, and then the second one hit a slag storm and I just like domed both of us and got in for another nine <laughs> And all of a sudden my opponent's just like dying and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. But
0: I'm playing at this escape ship deck. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just bloodbraid them. Like, there's a reason that Jund is quite good now, and that's right. A big part of that reason is the games where you just draw two bloodbraid elves. Right, right. So, so yeah, and then like all of a sudden,
1: I had like these threats that my control opponent was like struggling to answer, and then like I attacked them for six on another turn when they were when it was like lethal and they had to like, kill it, and then I just like played a primeval titan and they died. Yep. I yeah like, i mean that's this, that's this card is really good
0: <laughs> that is a huge thing is having right. an axis of interaction that forces them to do something that's not you know you don't just have prime evil titan and scapeshift as your like things you're trying to do if you can force them to respond then that's a very powerful uh, way to move the game along
1: right right in my experience i've, I've had success so far with it i, I 10 owed would the first two leagues that i played nice with bloodbraid scapeshift that's a good feeling yeah uh, so I was like, all right, all right, okay, I see you, I see you, liberated. That <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> was pretty fun. I just want to give a little, a little shout to uh, Living End, which also has good matchups against Jund and Tron when played correctly. But I do think that Valakut is probably a smarter, cleaner choice for this weekend. I have, I have seen a good number of uh, of Living End decks kind of popping up recently. but yeah. um, I think other people so, have yeah, sort I mean, of made that realization um it it is you know the i, I think people are trending towards blue white and away from Jeskai and blue white is a lot harder for living end than it is for a deck like valakut though so that's that's oh, yeah. something to keep in mind for sure why, why is that so so you love playing against jess guy because they have too many colors which makes your fulminator mages and your beast within very good um, and they also have bolts and helixes and electrolyzes, which you just don't care about unless they have managed to finagle the game into a place where they're killing you, which is not very often. Blue-white, though, their mana base is much more difficult to attack. Uh, their sort of, like, land destruction-y plan can actually be pretty obnoxious and get you off balance. And they just have more counter spells, and counterspells are really hard to deal with as a as living end. Um, and when, when played properly, like, it just... It, they make it very very difficult for you to resolve a living end against them and you have to play this weird plan where you're like beating down with fulminator mages and trying to get them to use a removal spell to be a two per, two for one and tap some of their mana and it it mostly does not end well for you unless the blue white player makes a mistake um Jess guy is just much much easier
1: yeah I can see how like one of the decks has a, a lot more counter spells than the other one so I can definitely see how that would make a make a difference.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's honestly like there's a lot of complicated stuff going on, but it probably just boils down to the fact that blue white has logic knots, and that's really hard to beat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess uh, we should point out that uh, Jace still not really tearing things up. There's usually a copy or two in most of these blue decks, but we I don't think that anything has seen a renaissance the way that, like, Bloodbraid has brought back Jund. So, definitely the more successful of the two unbanned cards at this point, um, and the one you gotta be more aware of going to a modern tournament. Jace,
1: yeah, we I think that people have just kind of sussed out at this point that Jace is good, but just, you know, not, not gonna dominate. He's not gonna make up like, you know, eight, 8 out of 8 top 8 slots, or any any anywhere close to any kind of, like, domination there. Right. Um, he's just a good control card, and he's going to make the control decks decent and modern, um, which I think was the goal from the beginning. Yeah, and um, it, it looks like it's but...
0: working reasonably well. I mean, especially in a, a Bloodbraid Lightning Bolt format, Jace is going to have a really hard time finding, like, a, a really solid foothold, but... You know, he's certainly right. seeing some play.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and I think that he'll continue to do so, but not be, like... You know, and there's also a good chance that, like, just nobody's figured out what the best Jace decks look like. Right. Like, I'm a firm believer that I think that if you're playing Jace, you want to be playing it alongside Liliana the Veil vale, and Thotsis. Yep. Not... Uh, Path to Exile and Lightning Helix. I, I completely um, agree. I could not agree more. You know, I think that people kind of got it wrong initially, which definitely put Jace kind of like on a on a little bit of a setback. But we'll see if moving forward more people adopt the idea that you know if you're playing it with uh, in a in a blue black X shell,
0: then you're going to be probably better off. Yeah, yeah. These Grixis lists have definitely looked like a better home than, like, the slotting him into Jeskai or something like that. Um, but I, I still don't think yeah. we're quite there yet. I, you know, there's some there's some weird card out there that, like, disrupts and blocks for Jace or something like that that, you know, is great, and we just haven't quite figured out yet. And then once we do, I think it'll make a difference.
1: That's kind of modern. That's your snapshot of modern. Is there anything else that we wanted to... Oh, uh, you mentioned there was a blue-green polymorph.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, just uh deck that popped up spotted this uh in the 5 decks uh, i think some a couple other people have pointed it out too like you can do weirdo stuff man in modern like and and the the giant list of decks that we get you know somebody 5 would with a a bluegrain polymorph list with call of the herd and emeryl that he adds toward and stuff and so yeah. i like i think that's dope that that exists funny
1: story actually so i i was coaching a guy, and he and we were going over some of his replays, which is kind of one of the things that I say, we can either play matches on our own, and I can talk you through everything in real time, or another way to do it is through, you know, like, if you have a replay that you think might have been interesting to, like, have some lines that you weren't sure about, we can talk through them, and, like, see what you did, and see what I would do, mm-hmm. and this guy was like, yeah, I want to show you this replay of this match, because I, like, I wasn't really sure what was going on in the match, and I was like, okay, let's take a look. So it turns out he, he was playing against Blue-Green Polymorph and I was like I I hadn't seen I hadn't seen Polymorph either. So he like played a call to the herd and I was like uh <laughs> like right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know, we talked through the lines and everything and we were able to figure everything out, but that was like my first introduction to this Blue-Green Polymorph deck and that was that was definitely funny where uh, I also hadn't seen that deck before. So
0: yeah, call, call of the Herd in this like lightning bolt fatal push format seems really really tough. But I I mean this is clearly just a fun deck that's super sweet. Like give mm-hmm. it a shot if you want to have a good time, but don't. Is Call don't. of the Herd the one with flashback though? Oh yeah, totally. You get some. crazy? You get some card advantage get, with that. You get two dudes. You get two. It's great. <laughs> Only costs you seven <laughs> mana. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> It's basically Bloodbraid um,
1: Elf, but like two, two for one. Bloodbraid Elf into Call of the Herb? Oh, I mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, Oh, man. Okay, two...
1: we're, we're going... Yeah, we can't put Bloodbraid Elf in our polymorph. No, type. we this cannot. This cannot this we cannot do do work that. out. Yeah. And
0: one other cool thing that I wanted to just point out for anybody who hasn't seen it yet is the four-color pyromancer list now. Uh, I think it top-aided uh, Classic like a week ago, and then Brennan DeCandio... Built a version of it that I believe he top 16 the open with. Um, and his version actually started running Bloodbraid Elf as well. So this this list is very cool, very powerful looking. I, I think if you are not comfortable, if, if you would rather play a mid-range deck and you're trying, you know, and, and you don't wanna go all in on something like Valakut, if you're a mid-range player and you're looking for an edge against Jund, this is a really solid place to go. You've got your own Bloodbraid Elves, you've got the like Faithless Looting Engine uh with Bedlam Reveler from Mardu, and it I I think it's got a lot of power and sort of has that never running out of things to do aspect that the Mardu Pyromancer is so good at and helps it so much in the mid-range matchups, and you get your own Bloodbraid Elves and stuff. So this is a really cool deck that that I like the look of a lot. Um, and you've also got traverse the Uvenwald, so you have as many Bedlam Revelers as you could possibly want, which I think is a beautiful interaction.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this deck is kind of like another take on a reaction to the format being a bunch of mid range and controlled decks. Is like, you know, one one of those is gonna one of those takes is gonna be what I was talking about with like Scapeshift and Tron, but the other one is just to like outvalue the value decks, and I think that if you're looking to do that, then. You know this deck is definitely doing that. Um, our team tested with it a little bit, and we just couldn't lose to any control deck with this list. Um, it was just so much value everywhere, and then you know just like in the in the value mirrors or whatever, we were just kind of you know the top dog there. This, I think that this list is definitely like praying pretty hard on a like a mid rangey meta game. So I think that it definitely has a lot going for it there.
0: So you know if you're if you're a mid range player then yeah go for this yeah a lot of moving parts uh, between like trying to get delirium and making sure that your mana works and stuff like that um, so this is not one for the faint at heart it's it's probably pretty tough to tune but you know oh it's the, yeah
1: it's very difficult
0: to pilot for sure yeah it's a lot of decisions all the time yeah but I just thought very cool deck and, and worth looking at for sure so
1: I guess yeah that's
0: modern. We should probably transition a little bit into some spoilers so we can get those in. So, this is your official spoiler warning. Uh, if you're <laughs> trying to avoid spoilers until sort of official spoiler season starts, then stop listening now. I think we've given you, you know, a solid like, like 45 to 50 minutes worth of content. So, I'm sorry that, that you don't get the tail end of this episode, but, you know, come, come hang out next week. For those of you that do want spoilers or do want spoiler discussion, so the. Uh, release notes for Dominaria got accidentally sent out. Um, And so Wizards uh, sort of embraced this and said, well, we don't want bad translations out there because it was the Chinese release notes that got sent out. So they went ahead and released the English release notes and that has just a ton of spoilers in it. Really too much to digest, especially without pictures and stuff. It's tough to uh, really get a picture of this set right now. But... (laughs) But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I picked out some key cards that I think are worth talking about, and and yeah, Collins, if you have anything that you know, I only picked out like five, so anything that has stood out to you, we, we should definitely take a minute. I got two
1: cards that, that you didn't list here. Okay, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a like a ton of information to, to, to dredge through, so right, right, um, definitely can't cover everything.
0: So the first thing that I noticed was kind of a minor thing, but something that I thought was interesting. There's a cycle of color, color, color guys. So there's like Benelish Marshall, which is white, white, white for a 3-3 that gives other creatures you control plus one, plus one. Um, And Goblin Chain Whirler, which is red, red, red for a 3-3 first strike that like deals one damage to all of your opponent's stuff when it comes into play. and. There seems to be, from looking over the cards that got spoiled, just a lot of cards that cost triple color, which is interesting and I'm kind of excited about because if the right sorts of cards are like that, then that's a real payoff for monocolored decks in standard. And I would like to get away from these mana bases we've been forced to build lately. And so if I can just run a whole bunch of basic lands and some uh, field of ruins, then... Then I am very interested. Yeah, for
1: sure. One of the things that a lot of people have been talking about in Standard specifically is that the mana bases are awful. Yep. And one of the one of the and that that's pushed a lot of people to really heavily prioritize one mana or one color decks. Like people really really like playing like the mono white vampires or the just mono red as and and. A theory that some people are floating around is that the reason that these decks are having the most success is because their mana base is just the best, right? Um, and I think people typically undervalue mana bases, and, like, and the effect that a mana base can have on your win percentage, mm-hmm. but it's very real. And, you know, we're just coming out of the, like, attuned with Aether era, so that was kind of like the one card that, like, glued the mana base together for that deck and, and made it so good and made that deck's win percentage so high. But, but yeah, now now we're in the spot where, peop, like, even just, like, the two-color mana bases for some of the color combinations are just not good. So seeing them look into printing these really powerful single-colored cards, but, like, you know, pretty all-in on the color, so you, you like, you kind of are forced into being on a monocolored deck. I think it's kind of cool just to, like, give more colors access to the ability to go monocolored. Mm-hmm. So... So that's pretty interesting, and, and kind of, like, I'm excited to see that space open
0: up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The next card sort of goes in the opposite direction here. There is a very strange new Planeswalker, Karn, Scion of Urza. Um, and so, like like all the other Karn, or I guess, like the other Karn, uh, he is colorless. So he's four mana, legendary Planeswalker, Karn, uh, starts with five loyalty. His... Plus one is reveal the top two cards of your library. An opponent chooses one of them. Put that card into your hand, and you exile the other with a silver counter on it. Uh, he's got minus one. Put a card you own with a silver card with a silver counter on it from exile into your hand, and minus two. Create a 0-0 zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. So I think this card is really, really good, but I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on this thing. It's
1: pretty hard to evaluate just from the context of we've never seen this type of, like, card advantage before. Yeah. Like, the plus one can kind of be read as, like, draw a slightly below average card but then the minus one is typically going to be draw and, a, like, you know, pretty much what you're looking for, right? But definitely an above average card. So that's kind of like this interesting, it's it's like a new, it's a new design space a little bit where, like, we've never seen that before. Right. Um, so it's kind of hard to evaluate how good that's going to be. And, you know, typically just, like, you know, draw any card is, like, fine. Like, even just explore, I think, is a pretty solid mechanic. Mm-hmm. So from that context, I think it's pretty good. And uh, you know, then I think how good he actually is going to be is going to be pretty dependent on how good you can make that minus two of making a dude. Yeah, absolutely. If you if your deck is full of artifacts and you can make just like a, a gigantic man on just like a minus two on your on your turn four, then I think that's going to be pretty strong. And we we do have you know ways of doing that with just like servo tokens and stuff like that and treasure yeah and treasure there are a lot of good ways of just dumping artifacts on the board it could potentially be pretty strong
0: what's also kind of interesting is that one of the sagas that got released uh and these are enchantments that like do a thing when it comes into play and then on each of your turns um and the third chapter makes all artifacts you control uh into five five creatures which makes these guys just absolutely gigantic which is interesting yeah I'm also interested in Karn for like Affinity might want it as a sideboard card in some of the grindier matchups. I, I know that some Affinity decks have been experimenting with different fours for you know playing against like removal and stuff. Yeah, for for playing against removal-heavy decks, basically. Um, and I think this guy this planeswalker fits in there like in a very nice way like if you're in a matchup where his minus two is creating like three threes or four fours like that's a really powerful ability so i, I think and, and the fact that he costs generic mana like you know that you make you, you think of all these control decks in standard, like you brainstorm them in your head and then you realize like, ugh, but this is black-white and there aren't any good black-white Planeswalkers for what I want to do here. I think that a bunch of those decks are just going to be like, oh, I think I can slot Karn in here and it'll be fine. Uh, and so it's, it's going to find homes in standard that way for sure.
1: Yeah, it's probably going to see play. I'd be surprised if people didn't try it out for sure. Yeah. And then kind of like talking about what you were saying about affinity... There, there's this other affinity list that I've been seeing floating around recently that's playing just like a bunch more payoffs than the traditional affinity list. Like, it's using the affinity mana base of like, you know, Springleaf Drums and Ornithopters and Moxes and all this other stuff to just like really ramp out things like Tezzeret and, and Soul Artifact and still has like cranial platings and all this other stuff. Um, and I think that this new card might fit into that strategy pretty well where it's just like another like big payoff card so yeah you know and like if you're wondering how big this token that it makes is going to be you know we we typically know how big cranial master of is. ethereum is yeah it's, it's very large in affinity right yeah. so you know I, th- I think that that
0: could be pretty strong yeah that's true that, that's a good way to think of it the minus two just creates the master of ethereum body which is uh enormous so yeah I mean, you know, he does cost 4 mana. That's that's a very real thing, but I I think that it would be impossible for this guy not to find several different homes doing a very very different playing very different roles. Like the things that Karn does in standard are completely different from the things that Karn might do in modern. So that's cool. Right. So yeah, we'll we'll see how he goes. Yeah. It'll be it'll definitely be interesting. A couple of key reprints that are one I'm very pumped about, another one uh, is going to fundamentally change standard. The yeah. the one I'm pumped about is Siege Gang Commander, just because this is one of my favorite cards ever. I love playing with it. I I think it's just super flavorful and very powerful in you know in a a, a, a reasonable way. You never feel like somebody played a Siege Gang Commander and it was unfair, uh, unless they play it on turn two in, in Ancient Legacy days. But it's just a very cool card that I'm glad is back. I'm a little sad that dusk to dawn rotates as siege and commander hits standard but I, i'm sure that i will find something to do with it
1: yeah siege commander is great it just screams goblins right, right. it's like all right I, i'm a goblin i bring a bunch of goblins
0: with me and i'm gonna throw goblins at you so <laughs> yep. now what and and we've got we've got <laughs> warchief too which may not be good enough anymore but certainly is brings the nostalgia back pretty hardcore and and that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and you know,
1: and hopefully some new fun goblins like uh, this chain whirler that we've been talking about. Maybe maybe goblins could potentially be a tribe. Do we have any goblins uh,
0: in like previous sets? That so some of the pirates are goblins. All of all of the ones that look like monkeys are goblins, but you don't really notice them because the goblin hasn't been relevant. Um, but right, right. I think fanatical firebrand is a goblin. Okay. Okay, now we're talking. Yeah, so I think there's some good ones. I think not sure which other ones are, but yeah, there's there's at least a couple of decent ones. So I think Vanacil
1: Firebrand in in a format that has a lot of the
0: probably the next card we're going to talk about is uh, seems pretty strong. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, so kind of the big news is that Llanowar Elves is getting reprinted. Uh, One mana ramp spell, baby. Let's geez. go. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think the thing that really cemented just how busted these one mana, uh, mana dorks in Standard, I, back in uh, original Innistrad, uh, and I was doing my best to put together a non-burial rights deck in Standard, and then every build that I could come up with, every single one of them started with four Elvish Mystic, four Avacyn's Pilgrim. And this is a reanimator deck that's trying to play a black-white spell, and I just couldn't make a list that didn't start with eight mana dorks. Like, that is how good mana dorks are. They are incredible. This is going to fundamentally, like, change how green decks play out in standard and how other decks respond to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, right,
1: so I think that we might be kind of, like, going back into an era of or not, not an era. That's probably not. It's it, it's such an ominous word. But uh, just like a, a standard where, like ramp decks can exist and be pretty powerful because you know one to three is is pretty strong and that can that can either lead into just like more ramp and trying to go really really big, uh, or it could just be as simple as you know playing some sort of like medium monsters list where you're you're just trying to accelerate into phoenixes or dragons or something like that so yeah
0: i mean it's, that's uh, it's pretty exciting if we're if we're playing servant of the conduit and all of those decks like lenoir elvis is a pretty big upgrade over that yeah right exactly um
1: so you know m- more three drops i think are gonna be like like the the value of three drops just goes way way up after you get a one mana dork like this right we're um, gonna be playing so a lot kind of, of like reevaluate a lot of turn to jade light rangers yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be fun to kind of like look at this standard con in, in in that context. You know. And you know, even like it seems like they're pushing mono green a little bit. You know, we've got the Steel Leaf Champion, which is the five four for three and triple yeah. green <laughs> with with upside.
0: Uh, so that's uh, that's pretty fun. What's its upside? Is it that it can't be countered or something like that? I, I don't remember exactly what that card does. Uh, I think it can't be blocked
1: by creatures oh, okay. with power 2 or less. Oh, that's a real ability. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, which is very you know re- very relevant for a yeah.
0: 5-4. Yeah, definitely. Just to quickly touch on some of the other um, potentially busted mana ramp that we're getting is we're getting Mox Amber, which is a zero mana artifact that taps to add one mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. Um, I think this card is borderline impossible to evaluate from the information <laughs> that we have, but it certainly has potential. A- a- any mox is, is potentially scary. We've never seen one that isn't, like, pretty broken, so...
1: It is potentially scary, but my initial instinct is telling me that this card is just bad. Yeah. Like, your your moxen are going to be at their best in the early turns. Like, you know, you want to be casting a like 2-drop on turn 1, or... 3-drop on turn 2, stuff like that. And in order to turn this card on, you have to have specifically a creature or Planeswalker that's legendary out. So, you know, like, now that we're deck building with this, like, okay, we're we're putting a bunch of Gideon, or Kithians, rather, like, putting a bunch of Kithians and Isamarus in our deck, and then now our aggro deck is just full of a bunch of 4-of legendary (laughs) creatures, (laughs) It just sounds terrible. Right. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it's like a fine, like,
0: utility ramp thing. I don't know. It just seems bad to me. Yeah, I am glad that it doesn't work with Karn, because Karn is colorless, and colorless is not a color. So Karn doesn't turn on Mox Amber, which would probably be just borderline a little bit. I mean, if this card plays out at all, it's going to be just to, like, give you a boost a surprising boost of mana on a, a mid-turn, which, yeah, is definitely not as broken as stuff we see out of, like, Chrome Mox and Mox Opal and that sort of thing. Um, I, I heard that apparently there was a buyout of Leyline of Singularity... Singularity. Which is the blue <laughs> yeah. blue ley line that makes every non-land permanent legendary, which would turn this on. But you still have to have a creature or a planeswalker in play to turn it on. It just doesn't have to be legendary. So, yeah, I mean, the, they definitely were pretty cautious with this one. That, that condition is not the easiest thing to fulfill. Even though we are getting a set with lots of legendary creatures, you know, they're probably going to mostly be like three mana. So that does limit what this thing can do. But still costs zero mana and can make a mana. So, uh, I, you know, you can't just write it off quite yet.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, the there are two cards that we haven't mentioned yet that I do want to bring up. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I think are going to have a pretty big impact on a few formats. One of which is Damping Sphere. So this right. one was kind Absolutely. of like one of the ones that we like jumped out immediately to me. Where it's it's kind of like a a, a a taxing artifact. If a if a land is tapped for two or more mana, it produces just colorless instead of any other type and amount. So it's definitely geared towards being a hate piece for Tron. Like, alright, all of your Tron lands just only tap for colorless. Yep. It doesn't matter what else you're trying to do. And it has another line of text that says, each spell player casts costs one more to cast for each other spell that that player has cast his turn. So, like, Storm Counter is now working against you, where all of your spells cost x more which is x where x is the number of spells that you've cast it is
0: it is not possible to storm off with this on the table it, it cannot be done
1: right yeah you're just not going to be able to storm off unless you have, just have actual infinite mana right it feels like
0: this isn't like thalia where we're having you know an extra electromancer in play makes makes the deck work again like it just like storm doesn't right. work with this on the battlefield yeah
1: so so yeah this uh this seems like a pretty potent hate artifact where it's hating out multiple archetypes in just one card like if you want something to hate on storm all right play Dampy sphere if you want to hate on tron okay you also have this card so this seems like especially for modern it just seems like such a powerful sideboard option moving forward where you just like it's so like it, it hits multiple archetypes which is very strong
0: yeah, I mean, that's what you need in any sideboard card in Modern, is you want to be bringing it in in multiple situations. And having a card that just says, everybody has to play fair, that's that's a really powerful sideboard option for probably a lot of decks. You know, like, straight-up fair decks like Jund are, are very interested in stuff like this that shuts down uh, some of their enemy decks... Um, but, you know, creature decks, you know, collected, I mean, you know, it's always tough to fit non-creature sideboard cards into like collected company decks, but green creature decks, you know, they don't like playing against storm necessarily. They don't, they don't like having to deal with Tron. This is a way to, to shut those things down and, and force them to play your game, which they are really bad at. So this is going to see a lot of play. I, I, I think this is an important card for sure. Yeah. And then
1: the other card that I was kind of looking at a little bit is broken bond. This is a pretty simple utility card. Probably it's going to also be a sideboard card option. It's uh, Destroy Target Artifact or Enchantment for one and a green. And you may explore. You can... or Well, that's kind of a bad term. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you, can, you can put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So you get another land drop and you Destroy Target Artifact or Enchantment. Um, not terribly exciting, but people who are playing Valkit are pretty excited about having access to this card in the sideboard now as, like, a good option for uh, being able to both ramp and kill uh, Blood Moon or, uh, you know, what other, like, a Leyline or just kind of, like, whatever problematic uh, Artifacts or Enchantments might exist for them. Right, and is also Um, a fine sideboard card against Affinity or, or decks like that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's just, like, a naturalized effect, which is, you know, great. Um, so the fact that it's that alongside uh, explore effect seems really strong for specifically Balakit. So uh, be, I, I'd be excited to be able to include that in my sideboard there. So I, I think that that's just going to be
0: what's going on moving forward. So yeah, and there's there's too many cards for us to talk about all of the interesting ones. So I think you know we just sort of picked yeah we can out leave the it ones. there for now for sure. Yeah, I mean um, if you, if you have anything else in ones. particular that that stood out. Uh, I definitely don't want to. We, we don't need to like cut ourselves off if there's anything. That's... No, I think
1: it was just. I think it was just those. But yeah, dominaria. It's got a lot of people excited a little ahead of schedule here. So
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks um, it looks pretty, really pretty cool to me. As somebody who started playing in you know like masks and invasion block, it definitely like pushes a lot of the buttons uh from that you know like i read all the books and stuff back then like i i i was a little a little magic weeb and you know still kind of am and a lot of these excellent you know for a long time i've kind of been mostly ignoring the story but like seeing all of this stuff you know like a a teferi planeswalker and that sort of thing like kind of pulls me back into sort of when i started playing and that's, that's that's really cool i'm pretty into that yeah that's awesome uh, should be should be fun moving forward for sure. Yeah, this is an exciting looking set. But yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got. Yeah, anything anything you want to say before we go? No, I think that uh, that pretty much covered everything that we wanted to talk about.
1: Cool.
0: Awesome yeah thanks to everybody for listening thanks again to our patrons and anybody who would like to become a patron and join the party on discord go ahead and visit us at patreon.com slash or just head over to MTGGrandcast.com to see all of our stuff and the link to the patreon and stuff but you know again as always thanks just for listening really appreciate it um Certainly wouldn't do this if nobody was, was tuning in, so it means a lot that you guys come and hang out and listen to us. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, Chris and I are having
1: fun, and uh, hope that we're uh, entertaining some other people as well, so... Yeah. Hopefully.
0: I hope so. <laughs> For sure. Um, you, got a, you got a GP coming up, or what's what's your next tournament? So, I, yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not going to be
1: able to make it out to Phoenix, okay. so my next tournament might just be Cincinnati, which is going to be the team event, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend gotcha so that, that should be fun
0: but cool well best of luck there i think i'm hitting up a couple of uh sealed pvtqs as long as i can get over to them so hopefully hopefully spike at least one of them but yeah we'll update everyone on that thank you guys for listening we'll see you all next week and uh have a good one peace